the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finner. We've got a great show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we will be interviewing Rabbi Chaim Jachter, written a new book, Bridging Traditions, Demystifying Differences Between Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews. This is a, this is a subject which has been puzzlingly... The first time I heard there was something called Sephardic Jews, and that's going to be really cool. Cool stuff going on. So, we also have lots of music sprinkled throughout the show. It's technically still the Passover, so we're playing some Passover music, some not Passover music as it goes. There is no portion of the week again. We'll be talking about the seventh day of Pesach. We'll be talking about the eighth day of Passover and the second half day, half second half of the show. Wonderful story at the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> A Palestinian woman died in a Palestinian hospital of a gunshot wound to the leg she received when refusing to stop at an IDF checkpoint. She'd gone to an Israeli hospital. She'd be still breathing. A Palestinian man was stabbed and stabbed an Israeli police officer and was shot and killed in Ashdolan. The officer is in moderate condition. Palestinians broke into Joseph's tomb in Shechem, setting it on fire and smashing parts of the tomb. This is a biannual occurrence. Palestinian police arrested the perpetrators. Two Jews who were praying at Joseph's tomb were shot and wounded. Israeli defense exports hit new records with $11.3 billion in 2021. New defense sales agreements grew by 30% compared to 2020. Israel granted work permits to tens of thousands of additional Palestinians. Currently, an estimated 100,000 Palestinians work legally in Israel. 
In anti-Semitic acts, a black man was charged with attempted murder, carjacking, bias intimidation after running over and stabbing an Orthodox Jew in Lakewood, New Jersey. March saw a 92% jump in anti-Semitic hate crimes over last year in New York City from 12 to 23. And finally, Israeli-American artist, author, and thought leader Noah Tishby was appointed the first-ever special envoy for combating anti-Semitism and the delegitimization of Israel. That's quite a title. Special Envoy Tishby will focus on raising global awareness of anti-Semitism and serve as an advocate to prevent hate directed towards Jews. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the -the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herr Schultzman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Rabbi Chaim Jachter, who has written a wonderful book, something which, as I said in the, uh, my introduction, a topic which has interested me basically my whole entire life. As soon as I heard the word Sephardic, I said, well, what's the difference? The book is Bridging Traditions, Demystifying Differences Between Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews. How are you today, Rabbi Chaim? Very good. Thank you for having me on your show. It is indeed my pleasure, and I take I appreciate you taking the time during the what is probably the busiest season for any rabbi. Okay, so let's oh, yes. let's <laughs> back up, back back way back up. Okay, so the book is about Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews. So let's get a definition. What's an Ashkenazi Jew, and what's a Sephardi Jew? Okay, good question. That's open the debate a little bit, but let's be uh, speaking very, very broad strokes. So an Ashkenazic Jew basically are Jews from, we'll say, well, we're all from Israel originally, but an Ashkenazic Jew is basically a Jew whose family has spent the last thousand years basically uh, in in Germany or uh, Germany, Eastern Europe, Poland, Hungary, Russia. Lithuania, etc., and a Sephardic Jew, basically speaking, and there's, there's a lot more nuance with Sephardic Jews. Sephardic Jews, basically, for the last hours, their families have been from the countries that, from uh, eastern lands, let's say, from spanning from Morocco to to, to uh, what today is called Iran. Okay, that's a pretty broad definition, but that will be definitely working. So, it's a it sounds to me like a a geographic thing. Uh, it's very interesting to note, one of my kids did 23andMe, and a uh, little surprise to me, it came back that she was 100% Ashkenazi. So I'm thinking, okay, so, but 
if we all go back to Israel, shouldn't it sort of like all blend in and we should be just all the same? And uh, is it just a geographic definition? This is like really one of those sociopolitical questions. You know, is it is are the demarcations racial, sociological, geographical, religious, all of the above, none of the above, et cetera? Well, all of the above, I wouldn't say it's social political. I will say there's a biological component to, to here, just for a second. Just, we'll, just, just, we'll, we'll digress for a moment just to, to clarify something very, very important, that the, the Human G- Genome Products Project has shown that Sardic, Ashkenazic, and Yemenite Jews all come from the land of Israel. So that's clear. We all, we all come from the same genetic roots. That's proven not just by our, our common stories, but also by biology, by genetics, actually proves that. Now, the also genetic component is where, where they were branched off. So, for so yes, there is a genetic difference between Sardic and Ashkenazic Jews, uh, which which is significant. Uh, which is, by the way, I should also add, it's a uh, <laughs> this is a good reason for Sardic and Ashkenazic Jews to marry each other. We've been recirculating the same genes for the last thousand years, so that's a <laughs> a big healthy benefits when, uh, when you have Sardic Ashkenazic marriages, which are very, very common today, thank God, which is a great thing. Family reunion marriages, I like to, I like to call it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's so good on, on many, many levels. And yes, there are religious differences, there are geographical differences, uh, genetic differences, but fundamentally, and this is the most important thing I want to emphasize in, in our talk today, is that fundamentally... What, there are differences, but what's staggering and stunning is that 95%, I would, I would approximate about it, 95% is the same. That's, that's the, the core is the same. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Go what's ahead. the difference between a Sephardic and Ashkenazic Torah? How many letters are the difference between a Sephardic Torah and Ashkenazic Torah? You know? Uh, there's one difference, I think. One letter difference. Oh, well, yeah, that's the ba- yeah. There's, the the word pesuadaka with the hay with the olive. Yeah, right, right. Well, even that's up to debate amongst Sardim and Ashkenazim. So let's say, like, the, even amongst Ashkenazim. So let's say this: uh, there is at most a difference of one letter, at most one letter between Sardic Sefer Torah and an, and an, an Ashkenazic Torah scroll. And you're talking about three hundred eighty-five exactly thousand letters, right? Exactly. Unbelievable! Exactly the same. Right. The and, core is the same. And and I didn't realize that that was a Sephardic Ashkenazi difference because I've gone into various Ashkenazi shuls and seen that word written with an aleph and that word written with a hey in the same synagogue. That's right. So it's uh, that's yes. a, that one's that one's a strange word. So um, yeah, we we just we just lost the tradition on that one. That's a uh, an interesting thing. Um, yeah, okay. that's, that's so, an interesting discussion. I, I, wanted, yeah. I want to tell you a, uh, an interesting story. So I spent two years of my life uh, studying in a yeshiva in Seattle. And ah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Seattle community, but there were two yes, synagogues certainly. There were two synagogues right across the street from each other. One of them mm-hmm. was called Bikercholim. Was went up, Wait, one was called Bikercholim. Okay? Right. The one across the street was called Bikercholim. The, Correct. And it was spelled in English differently. One was Sephardic, That's one right. was Ashkenazi. What was the difference in them? I said, well, I spent one shop. We lived in the north, in the northern part of Seattle, and those are in the southern part, where the bigger Jewish part of the Jewish community is or was. So what was the difference? Is the the Bicker Cholim, the Ashkenazi one, okay? So their rabbi 
would give <laughs> well he would talk on Shabbos. He would talk about uh, fluff and something nice from the portion. He'd make them feel good. The mechitza, the division between men and women, was about, if it was five and a half feet high, I, I wouldn't even think so. There was a chain across the parking lot. Across the street, the rabbi, who was Rabbi Maimon, who was like world famous as a Sephardic rabbi, he gave yeah. fire and brimstone when he spoke. He really yelled at these people. There was a balcony that separated men and women. There was a, uh, a, a, a curtain on top of the balcony so they couldn't see each other. The parking lot was full on Shabbos. They all drove to Shul on Shabbos. But I mean, to say in the other place they all drew, but they just parked around the corner. Is there some kind of a uh, cultural difference and in indication? Let me, let's just back up a half a second and introduce you that you are a Jew of Ashkenazi descent. As a working, right. working as a rabbi in a Sephardic congregation, so you, yes. this is the sense you have the qualifications for writing a book called "Bridging Traditions: Demystifying Differences Between Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews." So, would you like to comment on that phenomena? Is that is that like normal? Yes, I would say like this with Ashkenaz with it's something very very interesting that you find about. Sephardic Jews culturally, which is not really so much what I talk about in the book. The book really is mostly the halachic differences between the Sephardic and Ashkenazic Jews. But you're hitting on a cultural point, which is very, very interesting, that almost always among Sephardic Jews, even if they're not fully observant, they will still be very traditional. They will go, they will go to shul. They will go uh, every once in a while. They will go at least every once in a while. They will keep a basic level of kosher. Their weddings definitely have to be orthodox. There, this you find, especially you go today in Israel, all very, very much so. It's called Misorati, it's called the traditional population. It's very, very popular amongst Sephardim. And to a certain extent, maybe the most popular wing in Israel today, considering how many Sephardic Ashkenazic marriages there are that you will have uh, the, the predominant group in Israel, not the religious, not the secular, but rather the middle of the road of, of the traditional. Okay, understood. I mean, there's, the, the phenomenon is, I know, if I come to a, I'm, I'm do my Chabad stuff and I have my tefillin with me, and I'll ask a Sephardi, hey, would you like to put on tefillin? He's he basically, he has he has attacked me to put it to, and ripped my tefillin out of my hand and is putting them on and is just like thanking me profusely. And in Ashkenazi, if I get him to put on tefillin, it's a whole cultural, philosophical debate with a this and is this part of my belief system and I'm going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and it means I'm going to make a, some kind of a commitment where <laughs> this, as far as just he's doing it and he'll go back and whatever he was doing before. So it's the mm-hmm. same type of deal, eh? Right, exactly, exactly. Okay, so now, when we say Sephardic and Ashkenazi, for those people who initiate this, like you say, there's not that many differences, but one of the big outstanding differences, I have a, I'm, I'm of Ashkenazi descent, as we just said before. My sister married a Jew whose parents were from Egypt, and their family was in Egypt probably, oh, maybe it could have been even going back as far as Solomon. We don't know how far back it went into Egypt. And my sister, till this day, for the last 30-something years that she's married to this man, the first night of Passover serves fava beans and rice. 
in my house as an Ashkenazi, I would be mortified if there was fava beans or rice in my house. So what is mm-hmm. that? That seems to be a big. That's like like one of the major differences is Sephardi meat rice on on Passover, and uh, and Ashkenazis don't. So let's talk about that since this is where this is we're in we're in Passover after all. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's a, that's a big, 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 big issue. So let's make this absolutely clear: the Talmud, which is all Jews. Are all have, have, or at least in theory, are, are in principle all observant Jews, uh, pledge their full allegiance and do act in accordance with the Talmud. That's for sure. It's in the Talmud, that's an that's an agreement. So it's clear from the Talmud that only the five grains, of which rice is not one of them, can potentially become chametz. So straight out from the Talmud, that one could have one is allowed to have rice. And fava beans, any all kind of beans, that's all permitted on Passover, for sure, for sure. It's just the Ashkenazic Jews, starting in the, in the 13th century, started saying, no, oh, oh, one second, we're noticing that there is some wheat and, and, and grains that are mixed into the, into the rice, and we, we, into, into beans, and we, and we have to stay far, far away from it. And we don't want to take any chances. And that's, that's where the separation began. It's just an added stringency that Ashkenazic Jews have been observing for the last 800 years and is still, I want to emphasize this, Ashkenazic Jews must still observe this. Must, must, must. You have crop rotation, you have mixing of production lines, and you will, you will have some specks of wheat that are going to find themselves in rice products. Now, Sephardic Jews, I want to emphasize, is very important. Sephardic Jews, before your sister is going to serve the rice at the Seder, you just ask. She's going to check those that rice, not once, not twice, but three times to make sure that there's no wheat in them. And, and you'll ask your sister, and she'll tell, you, she'll tell you that she does find specks every once in a while in the, in, in the rice. So therefore, the Sephardim can have the rice, but they take the precautions. Ashkenazim... They don't want to take any risks. We're not taking any precautions. Forget it. Okay. Um, it's just, I'm thinking that the whole rice business developed because around that time in Europe, there was the introduction of the potato. So they had something which is like filling, whereas in, in the Sephardic countries, they, they didn't have potatoes for, I don't know how, till, till when, many hundreds of years later. Is that something of a basis of why there is a difference? Is because if you would cut rice out of the Sephardic diet on Passover, they basically would starve? I don't think so. I think, it's, uh, I, I, I think it tends to be a, 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 a little bit more of conservatism with the small C with Sephardim. The Sephardim are following the traditional Tal- Talmudic law. And the the Ashkenazic stringency is an innovation. Mm-hmm. Got it. I remember in 1979 when there was a whole airlift of teenagers and younger from Iran. They were brought to New mm-hmm. York. It was done spearheaded by J.J. Hecht, the blessed memory. And mm-hmm. uh, people had no idea what hit them. There was all these <laughs> Iranians that spoke only per- Farsi. And so mm-hmm. they were there for a couple of months. And he made they came. I think they came around Purim time, if I'm not mistaken. And so it comes mm-hmm. Passover, and there was a whole hue and outcry. They, 
they actually protested in front of J.J. Heck's house. They wanted rice. And uh, mm-hmm. J.J. Heck wrote to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said, give him rice. So it's a, it's a, it's a big, uh, I guess, a point of contention. Is it something like between you and me and everybody else? Is, just a, is it a talking point, or is it something to, to, to like put a wall up about? So uh, I just want to add, like Persian Jews, in my experience, they love they they, they love their rice. And by the way, I know we have Persian Jews here in, in our community who, uh, who who came from that airlift in 1979 and are very very grateful to the Rebbe. And in general, Sardin really have a tremendous love for and affinity for Lubavitch and Sardin practices. There, they're actually a lot in common. But this one about the, about the rice, yeah, it's, it's one of our differences. We should embrace the differences. No one's right. No one's wrong. Both are right. But everyone should follow their tradition. Okay, cool. Our guest today is Rabbi Chaim Jachter. He's written a book, Bridging Traditions, The Mystifying Differences Between Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews. There was a song. I don't know how long ago it came out. We've been on the air now 28 years. I don't know how long ago it came out. I don't remember who the artist was. It was a wonderful song. It was called... Safari Ashkenazadish was the name of the song. I don't know if you remember such a mm-hmm. song. What it was, it was a whole ballad. There were two families that lived next door to each other in Borough Park. One was an Ashkenazi and one was a Sephardi. And they really didn't have anything one to do with each other. They didn't understand what they were doing. This guy dresses funny. That guy dresses funny. This guy eats funny food. That guy eats funny food. So one Friday night, they hear that the Ashkenazi is singing Dror Yikra. I think it was, what was, it? It, was, it, was it was a Shabbos nigan. I think it was Dror Yikra. And he's singing it like an Ashkenazi. But the tune was very much similar to the way that the Sephardi was singing it. So uh, such a song like that, Dror Yikra, you know the song, I'm sure. I'm sure. So uh, it's mm-hmm, it's something which which if it's if it's um, sung by both Ashkenazi and Sephardic at Shabbos tables, it must be very very old to predate even Sephardic and Ashkenazi. So let's let's talk a little bit about this uh, those similarities like that that seem culturally different, but if you look at it, really aren't. I am a director. Ninety five percent is the same. I want to emphasize that. That's the most important thing I've learned in the twenty two years that I'm serving as a rabbi of, of a Sarda congregation. And and that's why I always ask the discerning visitor when they come to when they come to to a discerning Ashkenazic visitor that comes to uh, to a Sardic show. I ask them, okay, what did you see? Well, superficially, they'll tell me, well, this difference, that difference. I say, no, 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 think deeply. Don't look at the chitzonias. Just look at the outside. Is the pronunciation, the tune, the the primias, the essence, the essence is the same. That's that's the most important thing. So it shouldn't be shocking that our zmiros are the same uh, are the same word content, literary, literary content. Okay, we sing it and pronounce it a little bit differently, but those are chitzonias. That's 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 external. The internal, the essence is, is, is identical. Okay, I see that. I'm looking at the uh, through the table of contents, and the table of contents is actually it's a very thick book for people who uh, want to know. It's very fascinating. Uh, it's an easy read, easy to go through, and it's over 500 pages long. The table of contents itself 
is uh, 16 pages long. Yeah, 16 pages long. And the reason being wow. is because you didn't realize that yourself, eh? The reason being is is that every every chapter, every subset is very, very short because the differences, like you say, are very, very little. So the um, the, the thing I want to bring out about is, is that where do we see most of the differences? Do we see them in, uh, like, in daily life? Do we say that, see them in, in life cycle events? Where are most of the differences? And have you come up with a reason why those differences exist, Rabbi Chaim Jacker? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Okay, so, so, so clearly the differences permeate every aspect of Jewish life. That's why there's so many. That's <laughs> why the book is so long. It's, it's, uh, I, I try to highlight uh, approximately 100 differences in, 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 the, life, in the Jewish life cycle, in, uh, in, in the yearly, in, in, in the holiday cycle, and in day to day. Shabbos, there's the differences. Now, where did the difference come from? Well, you have basically two schools of thought. The school of thought that Ashkenazi Jews follow are the French-slash-German school of Rashi and Tosfot, whereas Sephardic Jews primarily follow the tradition of the, uh, the Spanish-slash-Moroccan tradition of, of, the, of the Rif, Rav Alfasi, and the Rambam, and Maimonides. So the, most of the differences, many of the differences, lie in this thousand-year thousand debates and very, very interesting, fascinating debates, but, but relatively minor debates between the Fra Franco-German school and versus the, we'll call it the Spanish-slash-Moroccan school. That's where the, the primary difference is. Now, in the latter generation, there's also a question of how much would have the influence by the Kabbalah, by the Ari. Sfaradim are highly influenced by the Kabbalah, by the Ari. And interestingly, is Hasidim are very influenced by the Ari. And this is where you have many, many convergences between Sardic and Hasidic practices, which is why, uh, why, why so many Hasidim feel so uh, feel, feel uh, very much at home and have a soft spot for uh, for for uh, Hasidim, especially for Lubavitch, as you find this this, uh, this this shared embrace of of many many Kabbalistic uh, influences. Okay, indeed. With the differences, are they like aside from the uh, the rice on Passover one, which seems to be like the most outstanding one, and then every anybody knows anything. Oh, right, sorry to meet rice on Pesach. Would there be any differences in custom? Because that's really what it is, is a distance, difference in custom that if a Sephardic was doing it, an Ashkenazi would say, well, that's wrong. Or if an Ashkenazi was doing it, a Sephardic would say, oh, that's wrong. Like, wrong. The more learned the Jews, though, they, they will realize that each one has deep, deep roots in the town. But it's just a question of interpretation. And the, the, the learned Jew knows to say both are right. From the youngest ages in the yeshiva, the students are taught, we don't ask about who, if, if Rashi is right or the Rambam is right. They're both right. As the, as the Gemara beautifully says, Elu these and these are the words of the living God. 
Okay, indeed. Okay, that's uh, about uh, wrap it up. Any other comments that you wanted to make? There's something I might have overlooked in the last 20 minutes. Well, I, I would say is that uh, is, is that if you are the more you learn about Spartac insight, more Ashkenazi learns about Spartac insight, more the Spartac learns about the Ashkenazic insight, the more that they will learn about themselves. And that when we speak about we, well, we Jews, yes, we Jews. And then there's we Sodom and we Ashkenazi. So for an example, if an Ashkenazi is going to say we say Avarachmim on Shabbos, well, it means that they don't understand what the prayer Avarachmim is all about. The prayer Avarachmim was instituted as a result of the Ashkenazic experience during the Crusades in, in medieval Europe. That's something that, that Sephardic Jews did not experience. The Avarachman, therefore, is Ashkenazic. So when one address, if a Jew is going to address an audience, he, he, he should be Ashkenazic Jews is going to be saying, we Ashkenazic Jews, we Ashkenazic Jews uh, with Avarachman, because that is an Ashkenazic practice. Uh, Kitneos, if you want to understand what Ashkenazim, why should they still keep Kitneos? Well, just look at the Spartak experience. Look how Sephardim have to work so hard to make sure, well, is it Kitneos, but not Khamet. And Ashkenazim, well, I don't want to take that risk. If you want to understand Ashkenazic practices, you need to look at the Sephardim. And the same thing with Sephardim as opposed to the Ashkenazim. They will gain so much more. Uh, each, each group understands so much more. The more they learn the roots of it, which is which is very much what we do in the book, to help understand where the differences come from, and that we should have a love and embrace of all Jews, and that Ashkenazic Jews come to a Sephardic shul, they should say, wow, this is so interesting. A Sephardic Jew comes to an Ashkenazic shul, they also should be saying, wow, this is so interesting. Okay, that's wonderful. Again, okay, the book is Bridging Traditions, Demystifying Differences Between Sephardic and Ashkenazic Jews. By Rabbi Chaim Schachter. It is by Magid Press, uh, Magid and OU Press. Both, uh, <laughs> like at the OU, every time you buy something at OU, it's got some other hechsher on it. Okay, so the book also has an OU Press and Magid Press. I want to thank you so much for enlightening us. It's been wonderful. Many of my questions have been answered. And we wish you continued success, and we'll look out for your next work. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We've got some music coming up for you. This is Avram Fried, brand new song. The song is called Ezri. The words are taken from the Psalm number 121, which is the chapter which is being said this year for the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who, if he would be alive, would be 120. So we're celebrating 120th birthday of the Lubavitcher. Jews wish each other you should live to be 120. And the words basically as where does my help from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Let's listen. Hey, so in a yellow 
At the Grove, you'll find the largest selection of kosher for Passover food and wines in Michigan. Looking for that special holiday treat? The Grove has it, with a full line of kosher for Passover cake, frozen food, and all your favorites. The Grove is your place to shop. The Grove has the freshest produce, gourmet dairy, deli, and meats. It's The Grove on Greenfield Road in 696 for all your shopping needs. Hey, Shulfinman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have up next. This is uh, a. It comes from Asha Torah. That's the, that's the group. I can't do any better than that. And it's called an Adele Passover. I guess it's some kind of a parody of an Adele song. Let's listen. Pharaoh, it's me. 
I was wondering if after all these years the Jews you'd free It's all over, everything You see it's time for us to leave you I hope there's no hard feelings Hello, I can't hear you I think the river needs some cleaning It's turning red and we're thirsty What's with all these frogs in my streets? Locusts flying, I've got boils and it's hail so freaky. There's not much difference between us except our million gods. Moses on our cattle's died. We must have scratched a thousand times. I tell you, I'm sorry for everything that I've done. Just stop. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when we ruled the Jews. Now we're slaves, but now we're stressed out. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days before we met this dude. Now our sheep are dead. We're stressed out. Pretend no one's gonna get away I hope you brought your swimming trunks Cause you'll need them for the day Gonna take a golden silver Eat some mata and be free Then maybe we'll eat lots of mana Yo! No time for dough to rise Better free the is name Leave behind a lovely ego And time no has no rain Fermentation is a process Only happens certain ways Taste your freedom Now live like a soul Yo! My God, he don't like you And he loves everyone I think it's time for you to admit you're wrong Now we all need for Israel Cause with God we cannot fail And now we know That he's the one that's in control Well I just can't believe We let them go Oh maybe we can catch them at the sea Don't be afraid Let's go and follow them I told you you should have listened to me There's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813, that's 800-603-1813, or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Hey, Shulfinman here, you're listening to the Jewish Hour. We've got time for one more song, and it is going to be God Elbaz singing Manishtan of the four questions that are said by the kids at the Seder. 
get healthy at encompass healthcare you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital the same medicines the same everything without being in a hospital why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection did you know that last year one in six people died in america because of infections they got in hospitals encompass healthcare is an outpatient facility that means you get your wound care treatment and then go home there are no wait times at encompass healthcare like in er's Healthcare is personal and works better faster and easier Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week, there is no portion of the end of Torah 
uh, being read in the synagogue. We're still studying it. We, we still have to review it. We don't get a vacation as far as that goes. So for people following along at home, yes, you still should be studying the portion of Achrimos, which is found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 15 and following. But we're not going to talk about it. Instead, we're going to talk about the significance of the seventh and eighth day of Passover in the short time that we have left. As uh, was mentioned in the song that was sung by Aish, the seventh day of Passover commemorates the splitting of the sea. Many people actually have a custom of staying up all night, just like the Jews did, as they, it took them a whole night to cross the sea. So to commemorate that they crossed the sea, they stay up all night, and uh, which was always a, a head-scratcher for me because for Shavuos, when we received the Torah, the Jews slept all night, and to make up for the fact that they slept all night, we stay up all night, so we, we don't get a break. So whatever it is, it's, someone said to me that whenever you're doing Yantif, the holiday, you have to be tired and identify with that. So, But the significance of the splitting of the sea is that it was the second greatest miracle ever wrought, being only outdone by the giving of the Torah at Sinai six weeks later. What was so unusual about this is that nature changed. In other miracles, the miracle is either pervaded in a within the guise of nature or the, the laws of nature are bent a little bit, like say with like like Hanukkah, but there was enough oil for one day, it burned for eight days, so it's a miracle. There was no physical way to explain how the water split because the nature of water was that it went from flowing to standing upright in a polarized fashion. Its very nature changed. What are we learning about this? What does that have to do with us? It's a very nice thing that this happened 3,300 years ago. Yes, I'm so happy. But we have to know that our relationship with the Almighty is only growing. It's only getting better. It's only getting more intense. And we go through our lives every single day, and we might not, we might not realize it, because to us, the only difference between nature and a miracle is, is that nature's happen, is a miracle is happening all the time. We also have to make ourselves like the sea. Is it demanded upon us that we change our nature? No. But we do have to work on ourselves such. Because the sea was only a temporary thing. It only lasted 12 hours. When we make a change in our persona, let's say, for example, a person has some kind of character trait that they're not really happy with. Like, for example, uh, they're easily angered. So the person has to work on themselves to not be easily angered. If anybody wants uh, a little coaching on that, they can contact me at rabbifinman.com. I do help people with anger management. It is not impossible. And to get to the point where it's not anger management at all, <laughs> basically what a person has to do is develop an I don't care attitude. That's really the way to dealing with one's anger. Because why do people get angry? They care too much. It's not going right. <laughs> But if you don't care, okay, this is what happened. I don't care. You don't get angry about it. So it's easier said than done, but it's not that hard either. So we look at the splitting of the sea for that type of a moral strength. But where does that lead us to is the eighth day of Passover. In Israel, there is no eighth day of Passover. In Israel, they will be reading the portion of Achrimos this 
this Saturday in the synagogues. And we don't catch up for a good couple of weeks, maybe five weeks we don't catch up to them. There will always be one portion ahead of us for the next five weeks. The last day of Passover is directly related to Mashiach, the coming of Messiah. Because once it is that we have gone seven days exercising our a lesson in self-abnegation, a lesson in humility by eating matzah, the only difference between matzah and bread is that matzah is flat and bread is full of hot air, quite literally. And so having gone through seven days of humility, humility means I relate to the oneness of God, that yesh echad ve'en sheni lo, there is one God, there is nothing else. I am part and parcel with that oneness of the Almighty. So when a person has exercised that faith and trust in God, so now you're ready for Mashiach, because that's what Mashiach is. Mashiach is you see it, you get to, you get to participate in it. All of the obfuscations, the obscurity and the the the, the the hidden godliness suddenly appears as like, oh, this is normal. It's alluded to in many places in the on the holiday itself, the Haftorah, the extra portion which is red, deals with the uh, with the Messianic era, the uh, the port, port part taken from Isaiah, looking at the very famous line that the uh, the bear will play with the with the uh, cub and the lion and the and the lamb will eat will eat grass together. You know the 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 famous line. I'm not quoting it correctly. I understand. But leading to a, a time of perfection, the last day in of Passover, which is this coming Saturday, it is customary to have a third meal. This third meal should start before it starts getting dark. So in Detroit, it started you know six o'clock, seven o'clock, somewhere around there. You could even start at eight o'clock already in Detroit at that point, and to have matzah, and to have four cups of wine, and to talk about. What is Mashiach all about? What are we waiting for? What are we doing this for? Where's our end game? Because it really is important to stay focused as to where we have to be. And hopefully, by that time, we can say, Lashana Habav Yerushalayim. It should be this year, not next year. It should be this year. We should be in Jerusalem. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spexhauer School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Go to my website. If you're not at my website right now listening to the show, you'll find all kinds of wonderful stuff over there. Um, that's if you're listening on iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, um, what's in the Odyssey, whatever those are, whatever you're listening to your to to your podcasts, listen, go check out my website. There's all kinds of, like I say, wonderful things. Archived editions of the show, all kinds of good. 
You'll also find a donations page. I'm saying this quick because I want to get to this story. You know the routine. Send your donation to the Jewish Hour by clicking on donations, clicking a number, make it a monthly one. Want to send it to cash or check or whatever, stick it in the mailbox. Fine. Send it to 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. And everything will be just great because we've been on air 28 years now. And we're going, as we say, biz 120 years we're going to be on air. You'll see. You'll watch. Keep listening. I say if you listen to the Jewish Hour for 120 years, you'll live long. The story takes place in 1955. In 1946, a little background, there were Russian Jews, mostly Lubavitcher Hasidim, who escaped Soviet Russia disguised as Polish refugees. And they managed to make it across. There was one family, however, that was split up, and that was the Eunuch family. Beryl Eunuch, he managed, he was a younger brother, he managed to escape. He was like six or seven or eight. The older brother was already a teenager, 18, 20. I'm not sure how old he was, mayor. He got caught, and he spent time in the gulags, and it was no picnic. It was not fun. In 1955, uh, actually every year, the day before Passover, the Lubavitcher Rebbe would give out matzah to people to use for their Seder. And seeing, this barrel eunuch saw that somebody else got a blessing that their brother should come out from behind the curtain, the Iron Curtain. He asked the Rebbe for a blessing that his brother should come out. And the Rebbe gave him a bracha, but he saw Mayor uh, Beryl, the guy asking for the bracha, wasn't really happy for it. And so the Rebbe gave him an extra piece of matzah and said, give this matzah when your brother comes out but it won't be in this country. So he said, okay, felt very happy. I got a bracha, 1955. 1955, 1965, he's still waiting. He's got the matzah wrapped up. <laughs> matzah, the good thing about matzah is you keep it dry and, and warm, it's, you could, it'll last forever. Finally, through many miracles, Mayor Eunuch got out and was not allowed into America because of quotas, but he wound up in Montreal. And the first thing that Beryl did was he took the matzah that he had gotten from 1955, this is 1971 now, and he traveled from New York to Montreal, and he presented him with his matzah that the Rebbe said, you will be getting out, but you won't be allowed into America. I have to deliver it to another country, and here it is. That's going to do it. We hope you have a. We hope we have a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we have a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a wonderful Yom Tov, seventh day of Passover, eighth day of Passover. Make it for Mashiach, for the Messiah, and we'll see you back again next week. Take care. Tastes like far full stuff in your jam jam too. What is that? Chop liver. And before we find the uppy coming for dessert, gotta stuff your face until your belly hurts. With mother bread, macaroons, flour, and cake. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.